Well, good morning, Journey Church. Glad that you're uh, with us today. Looking forward to just uh, sharing God's Word with you. Uh, you know, last week we talked a little bit about this idea of calling, and I was just sharing some of my own personal testimony about uh, being called into ministry, and, and then I talked about how we all answer the personal call of Christ uh, when, we, when we become His saved children, and then also inspiring us or trying to inspire us towards um, answering God's call when He asks us to do more uh, beyond just us being saved. Now, one thing that was kind of interesting, and I got a few texts and emails, because what, one of the things that I talked about was I've been at this church for, uh, not at this church, but I've been in ministry for 25 years. I've been at this church about seven, and I was talking about feeling like I was right in the middle of my ministry career, that I had done 25 years, and Lord willing, I'd have about that much left, and that I was in this moment where I was trying to decide uh, if this is still what you want to do, and I was talking about that idea of calling. It was so clear 25 years ago, uh, but then over time you feel like it fades, and you feel like you need to be re-inspired or recalled or, uh, uh, or told by God, hey, I want you to keep doing this. You have done faithful, you've been faithful this far. I want you to take it the rest of the way. And I realized that I shared that, but I never actually said, so I do believe God is continuing to call me into ministry, and I feel like this is where I need to be. So I guess the nicest way to say that is, I suppose you're just stuck with me uh, for, for a, little bit, uh, a little bit longer. Uh, although things may change week on week, we never quite, we never quite know. Uh, but last week I talked about this idea of the call, and we talked about Samuel, who becomes uh, one, of the, one of the early priests in Israel. Uh, before Israel even has a temple, Samuel is a priest, and talked about how Jesus was called and Samuel was called, and, and how they both kind of filled this similar role as intermediaries with, or mediators between God and his people. Now, one of the things that happens is that Saul is really, uh, Samuel is really the priest that stands for God before the people. But I want to do something, you know, I've, I've been rereading the book of 1 Samuel. I love reading narratives. Uh, they're just very easy to read, and I would encourage you guys to read that. But actually, it's funny, in the last couple weeks, I've just been reading uh, 1 Samuel again and reading about who Samuel was and what role he plays in Israel's history. And I love reading uh, Scripture so many... I mean, I've read this so many times, um, and I'm not saying that... I, I'm, I'm just saying that because I just have. Um, but it's, it teaches me something new every time I read it. There's things that I missed, and I love reading my, my, my reader's Bible. This is the one that I study out of. And I love reading it because there's always words or phrases that I see in this that I never have seen before. But I want to do a little bit of intro work with, with Samuel. Uh, Samuel is, is uh, the priest of Israel, but it says this, and I'm going to read just a few chapters. We're going to trace the story. So if you want to read it, go and read 1 Samuel. But we're going to start in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. It says, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. First, firstborns was, was named Joel, uh, the second was, was Abijah. But they did not walk in his ways. 
And I know that for a lot of parents, this is maybe the struggle because we try to raise our kids to be faithful, to love the Lord. And maybe we didn't love the Lord growing up. Maybe we didn't go to church. And so it's a hard habit to instill in their lives. But he tries to make them the next leaders of Israel. But it says the elders gather around and they go to Samuel and they basically say, your sons are not good sons. They cannot be the leaders. And then they say, we would like you to appoint us a king to lead us because all the other nations have kings. Now, let's just stop there for a second. If you ever pray and say, God, I want something because everybody else has it, it's probably not a good prayer. If you say, God, I, I, I want to I be married because all my friends are married, that's probably not the best basis to ask God for something. And Israel says, hey, you, you need to go to God, Samuel, and you need to ask God, for a king for us because everybody else has one and it says in the Bible here it says that Samuel is very displeased and he prays to the Lord this is verse 6 of 1 Samuel 8 and the Lord said listen to all the people listen to all that the people are saying to you because they have not rejected you they have rejected me as their king as they have done from the day that I brought them out of Egypt until today, forsaking me and serving other gods. And so they're doing that to you now. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know that a king will reign over them. And Samuel uh, kind of gives this warning and shares this with the elders. And as the story progresses, it says... They are not deterred. They have decided that they want a king. Uh, you know, if, again, if you have children, or maybe it's yourself, you have that stubborn streak that no matter what, you're going to get what you want. And most of the time when we get something that way, it doesn't go well. Chapter 9 talks about this. It says, you know, there's this Benjamite, this man. His name is Kish. And he has this son. And the son's name is Saul. And he is good-looking and tall. They say he stands a head taller than anybody else. And this is why they think he should be king. Now again, if we, if we stand back a little bit, if you were watching this as a play, this is where the narrator would kind of whisper to the crowd and say, this is not a good idea. The only reason they're choosing him is because he's good looking and he's tall. And while that might be, that might be great qualities, for you ladies who are looking for a husband or looking for a man, that does not qualify somebody to be king just because they're good-looking and because they're tall. But God honors the people, and Samuel anoints Saul as king. But it doesn't take long before Saul is disobedient. Now, if we fast-forward a few chapters here, to 1 Samuel 15, and you can read kind of what happens in the midst of this, how he comes to be king, and what that means. What happens in the next story is that it says in verse 7, Saul attacked the Amalekites, and God told Saul, I want you to go to the Amalekites because they have 
persecuted my people Israel. This is, this is now verse 3 of chapter 15. Now go attack the Amalekites and totally destroy everything that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. Now this is a part of God that we are not always used to, are we? We're not always comfortable with a God that orders a genocide of an entire group of people. I mean, God must be so mad at the Amalekites. Why? Because they persecuted his people? I mean, he didn't destroy the Egyptians that way. Why the Amalekites? And then when we read the story of who they were, we understand that they were idol worshipers. And any time Israel came up against a city that were idol worshipers, God would tell them to destroy everything in the city because he didn't want even anything, nothing, not even an animal to survive because he did not want them to fall into that trap. It says, so Saul attacked the Amalekites, verse 7, and chased them to the east part of Egypt. But he took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. But all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lamb, everything that was good. And after the battle is over, Samuel the priest comes to Saul, to this camp, and they are so happy with their victory. But in verse 13 of chapter 15, it says, When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I've carried out the Lord's instructions. And then Samuel has this great response and says, what, what is this bleating in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? And then Saul responds and says, Well, you know, we brought Agag, the king, back, but we brought the best of the sheep and the cows and everything else because we're going to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And this is where Samuel tells him as the story progresses that obedience is better than sacrifice. After this unfolding... Saul is rejected as king. The Bible even says, which I'd never seen this before, it says that God sent an evil spirit to occupy the heart of Saul, which was kind of weird to me. I was like, wow, we don't, we don't think about that kind of stuff with God. We think God only does good things. But it says God knew the people had rejected God and wanted a king, and then Saul had rejected God by not being obedient. And so it says God severs ties. And then you have the story in chapter 16, of how Samuel anoints David, this, this shepherd that's out in the field that really doesn't seem to have a lot to offer, is going to become the greatest king that Israel will ever know. And so we know that David is anointed, but something really amazing takes place in this story. David is anointed as king while Saul is king, but it takes about a decade before David actually becomes king. So he actually lives with this anointing for a long, long time. And David knows who God is, and that's why it's important for us to know that when the calling is placed on David's life in 1 Samuel 16, he's, he lives his life, he's already been living according to God's way, but he lives his life under that anointing. And let me tell you, when you know the Lord, it changes the way that you live. If God says, I'm going to do great things in you and through you, 
When we know that, it may not be right here and right now, but God will do amazing things in our lives if we let him, when God places an anointing on our lives. Now, one of the most famous stories that we have in the Bible that most people know, even if they've never been to church, even if they really don't know anything, they they probably know the story of the prodigal son and the good Samaritan. They probably know Psalm 23 and the Lord's Prayer. The story that they also probably know is the story of David and Goliath. Now, I want you to notice something. David is anointed in 1 Samuel 16. The story of David and Goliath is in 1 Samuel 17. That's important because it tells us that David is living under God's protection and under God's anointing. This past Wednesday, we had our pre-K adventure day. And uh, I may be able to put a picture up here about this. So... uh, you know, uh, Boston, one of, our, one of our little ones, had a little accident. And uh, as you can see in this picture, it's, uh, it, was, it was kind of a bad. He, he fell off the jungle gym or something. Uh, but I told, I told Julie, I made a joke. I said, listen, if we're going to enact the David and Goliath story, let's not be so literal the next time. Uh, he, he, he got a few stitches. He's going to have a great scar. It's fantastic. Uh, what a boy. Handled it like a champ. So <laughs> we're glad that he's okay. Uh, but the David and Goliath story is such a powerful story for us. It starts so simply, but there's some things in here that I want us to see, and I want us to hear this today, because this is us. We live with God's anointing in our lives. But as chapter 17 begins, it says this, the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled in Judah. They pitched camp at, you know, this place that I'm not going to pronounce. Saul and the Israelites assembled on the other side of the valley, and the battle line was drawn for them to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with a valley between them. Now, there was a champion named Goliath from Gath, and he came out of the Philistine camp. He was over nine feet Do you remember why Saul was king? Why did they want Saul to be king? Do you remember the qualities? He was tall. This is a matchup between the two tall people. Now granted, Saul's not nine feet tall. This guy is a little bit bigger. But if anybody stands out in Israel, it should be Saul as king, as God's anointed going out against this one, but he refuses. And then it tells us kind of he's got this, you know, all this stuff. Verse 8, it says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come to me. If he's, if he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And it says, At this, the entire army, including Saul, are terrified by this guy. And over the course of the next 40 days, this happens every single day. And it's so demoralizing, and it's so demeaning to the Israelite army that they don't quite know how they're going to do this. How are they going to figure this out? But in verse 22, David's father, Jesse, sends him to his brothers who are in the army. It says, David left 
left his things with the keeper and ran to the battle lines to greet his brother. And as they were talking, Goliath started his usual defiance. And the Israelites, the army people standing around, start to say this. They say, the king will give great wealth to the man. This is verse 25. Will give great wealth to the man who kills him. Also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from paying taxes. So Saul, who should be out there on the battle line, is staying in his tent trying to bargain with people about what he will give them because he is too cowardly to go out and face up to this, to this giant. David hears this taunt and kind of turns to his brothers and everybody else there and says, is nobody going to do anything about this guy? This, this, this guy is speaking against you know, the Lord Almighty and nobody is stepping up to him. Why is nobody stepping up to this giant? Verse 32, it says, David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant, meaning him, will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. And he has been fighting since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear carried one of the sheep off from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned to me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be one of them because he defies the armies of the living God. The Lord will deliver me, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Verse 38, it says, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. Now, I'd never seen this before either. I, I knew that he tried his armor on and tried to give him all the protection he could, but I'd never seen th these little words. He put his tunic, the king tunic, on him. How ironic. David has been anointed as the next king of Israel, and Saul, who will not go and stand up against Goliath, he puts his tunic, it's almost... It's almost serendipity, isn't it? He doesn't realize, but he is just affirming who David is. He is sending David out as if he is a king, because that's the tunic that he, as king, would wear. In verse 43, this is a, a kind of a fun little part of the story, I suppose, but there's some really good things here too. It says, you know, he, he goes out to Goliath, and it says, Goliath says to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with little sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he says. I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. This is what we call trash talk. If you ever watch WWE or wrestling or you see a, they do the face off and they start trash talking each other. And Goliath is good at this because this is what he has done for his whole life. He's a bully. And he trash talks. And then David, got to hand it to David. This is just a great moment in verse 45. It says, David says to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty and the God of the armies of Israel who, who you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down 
and cut off your head. And then I'll give your carcass and the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. I mean, this is good trash talk right here. If we're going to do this, we need to learn from David. Uh, and you go into work tomorrow and you, you just stand before your boss and you say these words. Okay, maybe don't do that. But, you know, you get the idea, right? He, he's just called, Goliath is trying to dominate him into submission and David's just not having it. He's like, you think I have sticks? You think your javelin's going to help you against the, against the Lord Almighty? You are kidding yourself. And then here's something that I love. I had seen this before, but I just want to call it out again. It says, as the Philistine moved closer, verse 48, David ran quickly towards him in battle to meet him. That's powerful. Goliath is done talking. And he's ready to make an example of David. And it says, Goliath takes one step forward towards David. David does not hesitate. David does not wait. The Bible says he runs to Goliath. That is awesome. Because David, in this moment, is fully living into his anointing. He is not afraid of how he could have been 15 feet tall and David would not have cared. This guy has defied the Lord. And David will not have that. He has God's anointing on his life and he knows it. Not in the arrogant way, in the powerful way. I am one of God's children and you are defying who God is. And that will not stand. I know this is a great story and, and I wish we could see it sort of playing out in real time. But you know, there's some truth in this story. The first one is that you've got to be careful what you ask for. Sometimes we ask God for things. You know, Oscar Wilde made a, made a statement years ago. It was a great phrase. He said, there are two great tragedies in life. One is not getting what you want, and the other is getting it. You know, did you ever find as a kid you were waiting and, and hopeful for something that you wanted, and maybe in your mind you'd built it up to what you thought it was going to be, and then you got it, and it just wasn't what you thought it was going to be, or you... Or you, or you spend so long wanting something or, or, or desiring something and then when you attained it, you, it didn't fulfill you the way you thought it was going to. I think that's in this story. The other side is when you are anointed by God and you are disobedient with that, God will take that away from you. We see that with Saul. He could have been an exceptional king, but yet he made decisions for his own benefit and didn't live into what God had blessed him with. And then there's David. Listen, I know David's story takes a turn and he makes a lot of bad decisions, but in this moment, these are the best versions of David. That he is faithful to the calling that God has placed in his life. He is not afraid of it. He's not going to be deterred from it. He's not going to allow anybody to tell him what it should be. 
when he faces opposition in his life, he runs towards it. That's what it really means, I think, to live with anointing. It doesn't mean that we're arrogant. It doesn't mean that we are, you know, that, that we are full of ourselves or, or that we think we're more than we are. Sometimes we think we're nine feet tall. We think we know what we want or what we need. But I think the story in this passage, talking about the Lord's anointing, talking about the Lord's calling in our lives, is about us being willing vessels. Listen, every one of us is going to have a lot of problems and struggles, and life's not going to work out the way that we think. David didn't go to the battle lines thinking he was going to defeat the giant. But he did go knowing that God had called him to something greater, and he was willing and ready to participate in that. That's what it means to live our lives with calling. It doesn't mean we understand everything or know exactly where the road's going to go. It's that we spend time focusing on preparing our hearts so that when God is ready, He will do powerful and mighty. And I tell my staff this all the time. I say, God works in us and through us, but I think mostly in spite of us. I think sometimes what we bring to the table is not our skill or our talents or the perfection of our lives. What we bring to the table is willing hearts. Hearts that answer that call that say, your servant is listening, or here I am, send me. That was David's disposition. And it changed Israel's fate. And he became a great king. He wasn't a perfect king, but God loved him, and he did amazing things for Israel, for his people. He is the one that ushers in the coming of Christ. Without David, the story doesn't have a happy ending. He was faithful to his calling. And maybe there's a word in that for us today, that we need to be faithful to our calling. As I talked about last week, and I was just quite pointed about it, I said, it's time for us to get going. We've lived with excuses and reasons. It's time for us to be together. It's time for us to do something. And if you want to sit on the fence, then what you're really saying is you're like Saul. You rather would, rather would want somebody else to do it. And God doesn't need somebody else to do it. He needs you to do it. He needs me to do it. He needs us to do it. And I think if we are faithful to that, God will give us a great victory. And great victory in the lives of the people that we encounter. So maybe today you feel unwilling, or not unwilling, but unworthy. You're willing, but un feel unworthy. I'm not, I'm not skilled to be one of God's great warriors. I can't go up against something like that. I don't know enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not, I'm not good enough. Those don't seem to be the criteria that God wants in David. He wants somebody who has a good heart, a willing heart, and is able to live their lives honestly before the Lord. That says God gives a great victory. Go and read 1 Samuel. Start in chapter 8. I mean, read, read all of it. Uh, the Bible app on your phone will actually read it to you. So when you're driving to work, just, just put, on, put on 1 Samuel. Put on some piece of Scripture. Let God's calling infiltrate your life and affect you and move you and change you. Let God prepare you. Say yes to Him. And He will give you a great victory.